We're going to continue, Truly Blessed, and we're at the halfway point in this Truly Blessed series. We've been going through the Beatitudes, and the Beatitudes are in Matthew chapter 5, and so we have been reading it, but we are not going to read it today. Um, But I'm going to kind of give you a brief overview. So if you did not know, there are actually eight Beatitudes, and the first one and the last one start with and end with the exact same sentiment. It says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? That's where it starts. The very first one and the very last one both end with this sentiment, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it's really interesting that these beatitudes speak to the life and the structure of your Christianity and of your belief. And it's really broken down into two specific sections, kind of like a sandwich. So you have the beginning and the end of the sandwich, and then you have the, the middle, right? And so that's what we've been talking through. The last two sections, or the first section, starts with verses 3, 4, and 5. Which is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We covered that a few weeks ago. Then it goes four and five, which is, blessed are those who mourn, and blessed are the meek. Right? And the final verse being the one that we're going through today, which is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. That's really the first section. And the first section of the Beatitudes is all about you being empty. Right? Being poor in spirit. Mourning, meekness, and it's all about emptiness, right? Being empty so you can be an empty vessel for God to fill. Then we transition to the next section of verses. And in this section, we talked about one last week. We jumped ahead. It says, blessed are the pure in heart. And then the next one is, blessed are the merciful and blessed are the peacemakers, being verse 7, 8, and nine. And then it ends with this, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's really the opposite of the first section of the Beatitudes. So Jesus is talking, the first section is all about being empty, and the second section is all about being filled, right? It's all about you being filled with God, purity of heart, being filled with mercy for others, being filled with peace and not strife. So the first section is about emptiness, the second section is about fullness in Christ. And this is really the the life of a Christian before Christ. We must empty ourselves so that he can fill us, right? The first four Beatitudes describe broken, grieving, quiet people who are hungering for righteousness. And the second section shows people who are full of mercy, purity, and love who are then persecuted because of their righteousness, Right? This is the arc of us as Christians in our life in Christ. We empty ourselves so he can fill us, and then as we are full, we will then walk back into persecution because that's how it works. Right? You begin with nothing. You're broken. You're grieving. You're hurting. You're hungry for something to satisfy you. Then Jesus satisfies you. He fills you, and if you allow him, he will change you radically and transform your life And you will then be filled with mercy and purity and peace and satisfaction will then therefore bring persecution, right? So that brings me to the beatitude of this week, which is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Let's pray before we go in any further. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you that you are a God who speaks. We thank you you are a God who satisfies. This morning we ask that you would come into this place. We ask that you would satisfy our souls, that you would speak to our hearts. We love you today in Jesus' name. 
Everybody said, amen. Amen. Let me ask you a question. What does it mean to hunger and thirst for something? If that's what we're talking about this morning, what does it mean to hunger and to thirst, right? The reality is, is we all need food and water to survive, but I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here, right? Like we've all been in a situation where you've been really hungry or you've been really thirsty. Although I promise you, no one in the room has been as thirsty as a toddler right before you're about to leave the room at bedtime. You know what I mean, right? Come on, somebody. I'm so thirsty. You know what I mean, right? It's like no one's ever been as thirsty as them, right? But you get what I'm talking about, right? Like Jesus, he uses this as primal example of food to hunger and to thirst for righteousness, right? And there's so many different things out there that we hunger and thirst for. Some are good and some are bad. You may have this desire, right? Really, Jesus is talking about this desire in our hearts. Each and every one of us are born with a desire for something. So what do you desire? You might desire power, status, connection. Maybe it's influence. Maybe it's vanity. Maybe it's money, right? The list could go on and on and on because our culture today, we're constantly being presented with opportunities To fulfill our desires. That's what marketing is. It's to have you fulfill a desire that you didn't yet know you needed. That's the goal of marketing, right? That you can realize, oh, I never knew I needed this product from Shark Tank, right? And now it's changed my life forever, right? That's exactly what it's supposed to do. And this isn't a new thing. This is something that's been born in us Throughout history, humans have always had a primal desire to hunger and thirst for something, whether it's power, money, sex, whatever it is, we've had a desire in our life to feel those things. So if you want to turn with me, we're going to go all the way back to the first book of the Bible in Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. We're going to go right through um, and, and we're going to talk about Jacob, right? Jacob and Esau, and this is a really speaking to the desire of what we're talking about here, the desire of these two men. You can really, really see it specifically. And a little backstory, if you don't know, uh, but Jacob and Esau, their struggle goes all the way back to birth. Jacob's hand was clenched to Esau's heel as he was coming out of the birth canal, right? He was trying to pull himself up because he wanted to be the firstborn. Now, this is us reading into it, but he was a baby doing baby things, right? But this whole image is that Esau came out first, and he's the firstborn, but Jacob is the deceiver. He's the one who really should have wanted and and should have got up to the firstborn status. And the sibling rivalry begins at birth. But then when they're older, Their personalities come out, right? Like you see at the beginning of when they're talking about Esau, he comes out red and hairy and he's like a hairy, hungry guy. You know what I mean? Like that's who he is. But Jacob is a guy who liked to hang out. He liked to cook and he liked to bake pastries and stuff. That's kind of like the type of guy he was, right? You'll see it right here in this passage. So let's go in, in Genesis chapter 25. It says, one time Jacob, he was cooking some stew and Esau came in from the open country famished, famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. This is why he was called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau says. What good is a birthright to me? 
But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil soup. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Both of these guys are hungry. They're desiring something, but it's very different. Jacob, he was hungry for position. He was hungry for power. He was hungry for status. He took advantage of his own brother in order to gain status in his culture. On the other hand, you have Esau, who's physically hungry. He's not thinking about anything else. Look at he says, I'm about to die. Give me a bowl of beans. I mean, how satisfying can a bowl of beans be? Come on, somebody. We're not talking about Panera soup, which is good. We're talking about a bowl of beans and some bread, right? Like, how satisfying can that be? What they are so hungry and what they are thirsting, what they're desiring for, it creates actions in their lives to fulfill this need. Let's go a little deeper. Jacob... He was willing to deceive, to lie and cheat his brother, his father, his father-in-law, and anyone who stood in his way so that he could get what he thought he deserved. That's what Jacob's life was marked with. You see this throughout the rest of his life. He goes on and does the same thing. Every person he meets, he's constantly scamming them because he thinks he isn't getting what he deserved, right? His position and his status is the most important thing to him. So his greatest commitment in his life was to himself. Esau, the representation of physical desire, he had to eat right then. It's like he was fasting for weeks and he comes back. I mean, I'm sure he could have eaten some berries or something. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure he could have made it a few minutes until He could have gotten some food. But in his mind, his desire had overtaken him. He wanted it now. Right? Call 877-CASH-NOW. You know what I mean? Right? Like he wanted it now. He did not want anything else. He did not want to wait. He wanted it now. He didn't consider anything. His birthright is massive. And his brother stole it for nothing. But his desire overtake him. The same with Jacob. Both of these men are consumed by their desire. And it creates destruction in their life. And all of us in this world, every single one of us in this room, you have to wrestle with your desires. You have to spend time honing, removing, processing through your desires. And thinking about what are my desires creating In me. Just like Esau and Jacob, they spent their whole lives processing through what they wanted and they they acted upon those things. And we have the opportunity to read what they did to fulfill those desires and to fulfill those actions. Now, in our culture today, culture will tell you that every single thing you hunger for, every single thing you thirst for, every single thing you desire is good for you. As long as it doesn't seemingly hurt somebody else, it's good for you. But that's untrue. There's there's nothing that has no unintended consequences, especially to your own 
soul, right? Do what's best for you. That's all that matters. Don't worry about anybody else. Let's look at me. Let's take care of me. And if I can walk into your front yard a little bit, especially in the city of Chicago, especially in the state of Illinois, we could care less about what our consequences have upon other people. We care about what we want to go. If you want to prove me wrong, check out driving on the highway. You want to get where you want to get. Everybody else better get out the way, right? I just got stuck in two hours of traffic in Chicago, and I'm telling you, I lost, I'm already thinning, I lost a lot of hair. You know what I mean, right? I told, I told my dad this morning, I said, I need to get on some Rogaine or something, because I got some big problems happening. You know what I mean? I'm not brave enough to have a bald spot. You know, I just, I'm, I can't do it. I don't know if my Christianity will survive it. You know what I mean, right? Jesus, Lord, send revival to my hair. Come on, somebody, you know, Right? But we just, we want what we want, and we're going to get it. Get out of my way. But is that the reality of it? Our desires then overtake us, and, and then we hurt others. That's not how we're called to live, especially if we're redeemed through Christ. We're called to live different. Check out what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. He says, do you not know that your body are the temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Therefore, honor God with your desires, with your hunger, and with your thirst. If you've been redeemed by Jesus, then this verse is for you. This verse is for all of us. It's a great reminder that I have been bought at a price, that Jesus came down to die for me. So I want to honor you, Lord, with my desires, with what am I hungering and what am I thirsting for. So I want to invite you to write this down, take a note on your phone or whatever if you're listening to the podcast later. I want you to invite you to take an inventory, what are my desires on a day? Just think about it during the day. What are the things that I'm desiring? Am I desiring other people to see me in a specific light? Am I desiring money? Like all I'm thinking about is how can I make more money? Am I desiring just food? I'm I'm overcome by my desires. I'm overcome by gluttony. Am Am I desiring others, the opposite sex? Am I desiring just passion? What am I desiring in a day? Take inventory of that. Process it. Ask these questions. What matters most to me? Or what do I think about most? Also, what brings me the most hope? And maybe at the same time, what brings me the most strife? What brings me the most hope? Or what brings me the most strife? And I've been thinking more and more about this. What we consume in our lives and what we consume in our minds, you will contemplate. You will begin to contemplate what you consume. And that contemplation will create pathways of either Goodness or destruction in your life. And by contemplate, I'm not talking some deep thing, right? Like it's just another word for thinking that starts with a C, okay? Learn that in Bible school. Have it all start with a C, right? What you consume, you will contemplate. You will think about. And that will create pathways or it will create things in your mind and avenues by which you will either do good things or you will do bad things. Right, let me prove it to you. 
you don't have to raise your hand, but I'm sure all of us have seen a movie, like a thriller movie in your life, right? Maybe not a scary movie, but I'm sure you've certainly seen a thriller movie. Like maybe you've seen one of the Takens, okay? Imagine you're watching this thriller movie, and the person is getting robbed, and as they're getting robbed, the person, that, as they're walking down into the basement, there's someone hiding behind a closet door in the dark in their basement, and that's when they rob them, right? The next time you walk into your basement, and it's dark, and you're walking past a closet door, if you're not a little bit scared or holding a bat, you might be Liam Neeson. You know what I mean, right? Because I don't care who you are. You just see that movie, and you're like, see, you're, what did I see out of the corner of my eye over there? I saw something. I know nobody's in my house, but I swear I saw something. Why? What you have consumed and what you are contemplating has now created fear that is not real. What you consume, you will contemplate. And that will create things in your life. So I don't want to go early 2000s on you when I tell you to, you know, burn your CDs and DVDs. You know what I mean? That's not what I'm talking about. But the, they had a point. The things that you're consuming create things in you. Things that you're thinking about that create these things in you. Are your desires coming from what you're consuming? And what are you consuming? Is it holy? Is it good? Is it in between? Is it definitely bad? Is it okay? What, what are you consuming and what is it creating in you? Because the reality is there's a battle for your heart. There's a battle for your intention. There's a battle for your affection. And I think the battle might not be where you think it is. I actually believe the battle that we have is not with the world. A lot of times our battle is with God. Because I want to be in control of my life. I don't want God to be in control. I want to be in control of my desires. So I'm going to choose this or choose that. I don't want to submit to his will. I want to do mine. So I'm going to turn back to Jacob's story to show you that after he's stolen a blessing from his brother, he stole his birthright. He stole from his father-in-law by cheating him as he was breeding lambs. He, he's stolen from everybody and thus created that in his family where his wife steals from her father and then his children steal from others. He creates this in his family. Finally, he comes face to face with God. Genesis 32 Verse 24, it's going to be on the screen behind me. It says this, and Jacob was left alone. His family had crossed over. This is just before he's about to see his brother Esau for the first time since he stole his birthright and his blessing. And Esau was a guy that you did not mess around with. So he's scared, and he sends his women and children ahead of him with gifts and money because he's, like, afraid. So he hangs back. He's all left alone. And it says, a man wrestled with him. Until the breaking of the day, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched, the hip of, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for, it is, for day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said, what is your name? This is important. He said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have strife with God and with man, and you have prevailed, or you have struggled with God. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. And he said, 
Why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called this place Penel or Bethel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The man that he was wrestling with was God. And I know it says man in that translation, but what good theologians will tell you, rather than people interpreting scripture, you need to let scripture interpret scripture. So I'm going to show you right now. We're going to let scripture interpret scripture. Hosea chapter 12, verse 3 and 4, it says this. Even in the womb, Jacob struggled with his brother. And when he became a man, he even fought with God. Yes, he wrestled with an angel and won. He wept and pleaded for a blessing from him. There at Bethel, he met God face to face. And God spoke to him. Hosea just confirmed that who he wrestled with was in fact Jesus who had jumped down and wrestled with him in this struggle. So you know that this is God who meets him face to face. And in that face, he's wrestling with God. He's close. He's struggling with him. And what did he want from God? The same thing he's always wanted. I won't let you go unless you bless me. He's desired for status. He's desired for blessing. His desire is to be first. His hunger and thirst wasn't to see God, but was to just be blessed. And he's wrestling God, and the only thing he can think about is how can I get my blessing out of this? How can I make my status? Sometimes I think we get into a hurry And we take matters into our own hands, like Jacob has done his entire life. Taking matters into his own hands. God said, I want to bless you, Jacob. But he didn't believe it. So he wrestles with him. And if you look in the story, the reality was there was a prophecy before Esau and Jacob was born. A prophecy to his mother that said, the younger son will be greater than the older son. Specifically saying the one who comes out second will have the blessing. God had destined Jacob to have the blessing, but instead he took matters into his own hands. And he stole the blessing from his brother. He stole the birthright from his, blo- his brother. He took matters into his own hands. Maybe God would have given it to him in a very specific way. Or maybe God knew that he would do this and he prophesied through it. God said, I'll take care of you. God said, I'm going to be there for you. But yet Jacob deceived, deceived. His desire overcame him. And right now I want you to think about what are the things that you're struggling with personally? What are the things that you're battling with personally? Is it really with that thing that you're facing? Or is your battle truly with God to not submit to his will? Here's two questions I want you to consider. Will I trust God to take care of my situation? Will I trust God to take care of my situation? And will I obey God and do what he says even when I don't understand it? Those are the two questions. Will I trust God to take care of my situation? And will I obey him even when I don't understand it? Will I trust and will I obey? And if your thought is no, then welcome to the party. You're struggling with God. You're wrestling with him.
My thought is, I don't know. Have mercy. We can survive. I'm going to wrap it up quickly. Come on, somebody. Everyone's like, his mic died? Hallelujah. Who was praying that the service would be shorter today? No, we think, God, will you really take care of me? I'm not going to wait. I'm going to trust. I'm not going to wait for you. I'm not going to trust. I'm going to be in charge. Do you want to be in charge? Do you want to call the shots? Do you want to run your life? Do you want to make it your way? Because God is willing to wrestle with you. And that's kind of a beautiful thing. Because I don't know if you've ever wrestled anybody, but it's, I mean, it's close. It's intimate. It's hard. And the fact that God shows he's willing to come down and wrestle with someone who has blatantly stolen everything from the people that he is supposed to lead And not only that, when he does bless him, he makes him the father of the nation of Israel. That's who Jacob is. His 12 sons of the 12 tribes of Israel. The man who wrestled with God. God came down. He is willing to get in the muck and the mire with you. And I know you're sitting here thinking, okay, hunger and thirst for righteousness, where does this all go? I think we have to get our desires in order and our wrestling with God in order. God, I'm willing to wrestle with you. There's a song that I've been listening to. It's called Kind. And one of my favorite parts is the end of it where he says, in the darkest day in history, I look up at the cross. I know I wasn't there, but I see pain unimaginable. And I think that's what kindness cost. When I look up at the cross, I think that's what kindness cost. Jesus died on the cross so that he could be so kind to have a personal relationship with you. To have a relationship where he's willing to wrestle with you through your depression, your anxiety, your anger, your addictions, your pain, your lusts. He is willing to fight with you and for you to submit and trust that he is good. I believe God wants to get our priorities in order so that we can have satisfaction in him. We need to get our hunger and thirst in order so that we can have righteousness. And what is righteousness? It is the next three beatitudes. So we talked about one last week, to be pure in heart. We're going to talk about the next two, which is to be full of mercy and to be peacemakers. That's what he says. But look at what Jesus says. When you're hungering and thirst for righteousness, the only way you can be satisfied is John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. That's his promise to us this morning. That's his promise to us on this rainy, gloomy, hard day where you just want to watch a movie and forget about all your problems and you figure I'll just let the bills go to the next week or I'll let that problem continue or I won't respond to that text because I'm frustrated or I won't deal with all of these things. He says, whoever comes to me, this is Jesus speaking, 
They'll never be hungry again. They'll never be thirsty. Your satisfaction can only be found in Jesus. And just like Jacob, many of us have been lying and stealing and pursuing our own blessings and our own satisfaction our entire life. And the reason we can't be satisfied is because we are finding satisfaction in someone other than Jesus Christ. But he wants to know you. He wants to be with you. He wants to be close. Just like Jesus, he comes down and wrestles. And I feel like many of us are just like that U2 song. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. What you're looking for, I believe it's Jesus. And I believe if you will allow him to take your satisfactions and your desires and reform them into righteousness, then you will be satisfied. But if you are your own God, you will receive your own blessing. And your own blessing comes with a lot of pain and a lot of hurt as collateral. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you this morning that you are good. And we ask you today that you would come into this place. I pray today that you would reform our hearts, that you would reform our minds. God, we want to submit to your will. God, I thank you that you're a God who will wrestle with us. I thank you that you're a God who will be close to us. I thank you for the kindest day in history that was the most pain you took on the cross, that you died for me, that you died for everyone in this room, that you died for this entire world, God. And I pray this morning that we would come to a place to where we can place our hungers, our thirsts, our desires upon your feet. And we can trust your word and listen to your righteousness. God, I pray today that as we have studied your word, as we have studied your gospel, that you would be more evident in our lives, that you would break free the chains of those who are in this room, that burdens would be lifted, that freedom would be found. God, we come before you. We submit to you this morning. We trust you this morning. We love you today. In Jesus' name, amen.